0: Good evening. Good afternoon. Right. Well, thank you for being here today, braving the heat. I am proud of you guys. I, you know, when I saw what the temperature was going to be today, this is the first test of Pillar Church of Oceanside, and the uh, the summer heat has been absolutely phenomenal weather up until this week. So, thank you for being here. And on cue tonight, we are going to talk about the testing of Jesus or the tempting of Jesus. So if you've got a Bible, if you return to Matthew chapter 4 before you get that read. Can everybody hear me loud and clear? Yep. Excellent. Thank you. I'll be honest with you. I'm very excited to preach this message. Sometimes I don't know if any of you have ever had the opportunity to teach or to preach. Sometimes it's a real labor. Like you, you struggle over the word, you pour over the scriptures, and you, you're you saying, "Lord, what do, what do your people need to hear?" This one came together in probably record time. It was almost like it was delivered to me. My wife said, "Well, that sounds dangerous." <laughs> yeah, thanks, babe. She's not here tonight. Uh, she had the work, but. I definitely do feel this is for, from the Lord. I I've spent, obviously, I, you know, I don't want to say I only prepped 10 minutes. I prepped a long time for this, but how it all came together. And what we're talking about is the temptation of Jesus. We'll pause here for a moment. Excellent. And we've been on a series called uh, Our Firm Foundation, Our Foundations I said, like, well, what does the testing or the, the temptation of Jesus have to do with that? And I ask you tonight, I think this is going to be very critical for most of you, if not all of you, to your faith walk. To understand what Jesus did uh, when he was being tempted and tried by the devil has a direct correlation on our lives. And if we don't pay attention, we're going to miss something that is absolutely crucial to the Christian walk. Now, uh, I was telling Tracy what I was going to preach on. He said, hey, are you going to differentiate? Because it says Jesus was driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now we're tempted. Is a problem, right? Because James 1.13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. It says, For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. So the question is, well, why did the Spirit drive Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted? The problem is, is our English word for tempt. When we think of tempting, we always think of something negative. Raise your hand if you say, hey, to tempt is bad, right? But yeah, I do too. If somebody says, hey, uh, I'm being tempted, you think, okay, you're being enticed to sin. Now, that word definitely means that, but in the original biblical language, it means more than that. It can also mean a trial, a testing, right? And so that's how I want you to view this word tonight, that the temptation of Jesus is so much more than a temptation of sin, because you'll see his first temptation is going to be is to make bread, is to make bread a sin. I don't know, but he's actually being tested, and Jesus uses this word tested throughout the Gospels. When he's reading people's hearts, right? Someone brings him the coin and says, hey, is it rightful for us to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus says, why do you tempt me? Right? He uses these words. So tonight, when you're thinking about the word tempt, think of the word trial. Okay. So to summarize, before we get into this, just in case there's any confusion, God does not tempt you to sin, but he does allow you to go through the testimony. Amen? Yes, you're allowed to speak to me, by the way. Uh, if, you, if you've if you never heard me teach before, I just appreciate even just like a helpful nod or thumbs down or something, whatever it is. Ooh. I know you're listening. But listen, this is very important. God does not tempt you to sin, but he does allow you to go through testing. Amen? There's a big difference there. You have to differentiate that in your mind. It is counterproductive for God to tempt you to sin when God says don't sin. He's not playing a rigged dice game where he's like, oh, I've got you, I've got you. Yeah, they said, what a loser. That's, if that is your view of God, you're broken, and we've got to get back into the text, right? But testing and trials serve a purpose that can, God can show you what is on the inside of you. Amen? Mm-hmm. So we're about to see what's on the inside of Jesus. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. It says, then Jesus, so I should stop already right. Does anyone know what just happened to Jesus? He He was baptized. That's right. He was baptized. And the voice of the Father said, This is my Son with whom I'm well pleased, right? He hears that voice of confirmation. And this is where we pick up in Matthew 4. It says "Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, what was the result? He was hungry. He was hungry. I haven't eaten since lunch, and I'm hungry, right? So imagine 40 days. And the tempter came and said to him. You notice that word tempter there? Some some of your translations may say double. Verse 1, it it said double. This is not a proper name. This is the accuser, the tempter, right? It goes by all these different names. This is not a proper name. It's the accuser. And it says, verse 3, And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So we see Jesus is being driven into the wilderness to be tempted by the very creature that caused humanity to fall in the first place. Does some of this story sound familiar? We just went through Genesis. And, and poor Eve is hanging out, right? And who showed up? In Genesis it says the tempter, that's right, the serpent, actually, the Nakash shows up, this shining one, this serpent. And he says, Did God really You shall not eat. Right? And you guys remember this discourse. We don't have to go into it. Now, Jesus, being our representative of humanity, Jesus is called the second Adam, is about to have a showdown. And he's going to do it right where humanity has got it wrong. Because everybody has seen this before. Hopefully, I'm not telling you anything new here. Right? If it is something new, well, welcome. This is why we're here as well. Right? So the tempter is up to his old games. Did God really say? Jesus, if you are the son of God, why don't you do this? In both cases, the tempter tries to get the recipient of the testing to doubt God's word. Now, as we're going through this message, you need to to start thinking about this in terms of you as well. So what's one of the tricks of the enemy? What's his number one tactic? To get you to doubt God's word. Jesus had just heard, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And Satan shows up he says, if you are the Son of God, he's attacking this claim that Jesus is the Son of God. Are you the Son of God? Are you? Let's, let's prove this thing out right now. He turn these rocks to stone. Eve, did God really say that? Look, eat it. I promise you, if you eat this, you're not going to die. Actually, something better is going to happen. You're going to be like God. Right? Doubt in God's word. But here's something you may not have picked up on. There's a lot more going on in the story. Now, I'm going to go back in Matthew. Go back a couple chapters in Matthew chapter 2. And let's go to verse 13. I'll read it to you. Now, this is the story of Jesus. It says, Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph. Who was Joseph? Jesus' father. Thank you. In a dream. Certainly, Father. In a dream, it said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to where? Egypt. And remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and he took the child and his mother by night and departed out of Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I will call my son. Now let's look at the baptism, fast forward what's happening here. Matthew 3.13-17 through 17. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John, would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and yet you come to me? But Jesus answered him and said, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. <coughs> then he consented, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. Behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And then this picks up our story of Jesus being driven into the wilderness to be tested. Now, have you heard this story before of a people called out of Egypt, delivered through water into the wilderness? Anybody? That's the story of Israel, right? Israel is in Egypt. God rescues them by a mighty hand, an outstretched arm. He sends Moses and his brother, and he delivers them from Pharaoh. They go through the Red Sea. God parts the Red Sea and has this miraculous deliverance through water. And where do they go from there? Right into the wilderness. Does anybody see what Jesus is doing? Jesus not only is facing the temptation where Adam and Eve fell and is our representation as humanity. Jesus is also representing all of Israel who has failed the test in the wilderness. Jesus is about to pass the test. Is that exciting? Yes. I'm the one that geeks out about this stuff. There's so much imagery being loaded into this thing. Jesus is not only about to redo the garden episode, He's about to redo all of Israel's failings. Now, if you are a student of the Word, you have to go back and read what God says about this in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 8. Let's read chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. Now this is after they're getting ready to go into the promised land. They're finishing up in the wilderness. And here's what God says. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply it. Go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way to the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. How long was Jesus in the wilderness? 40 days. Forty days. How long was Israel in the wilderness? 40 years. Forty years. That he might humble you, testing you. Uh-oh, Israel was led into the wilderness to be tested? And there's a big story going on here. says testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. I'm going to pause there. The testing of Jesus is to know what's in his heart. He is tested at all points, just like you and I. But he does it right. Isn't that awesome? Mm -hmm. God says the same thing to Israel. Look, I led you into the wilderness that you can be tested. I can know what's in your heart. Verse 3, and I humbled you, and I let you, uh uh-oh, what does it say? I let you hunger. Is Jesus hungering right now in the wilderness just like Israel was? I humbled you, and I let you hunger, and I fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might... Make you know that, that man does not live by... Uh-oh. Do you, you see what's happening? Man does not live by bread alone. What did Jesus say to Satan? Boy, you guys are not excited about this. I am just geeked out on my mind. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 8 verbatim to Satan, who's testing him in the wilderness while he's hungry. Do you see that Jesus is personally identified here as Israel? Passing this test. Lost. Verse 4 says, Your clothing did not wear out on you and your foot did not swell these four years. Know then in your heart that as man uh, disciplines his son, the Lord, your God disciplines you. Okay, so with this big story back in mind, let's go back to Matthew 4, verse 1. Let's read it again. Now think about what's happened. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Alright. Where Israel failed, the Bible tells us in Exodus 16 and 3, It says, And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we have died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. Then we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly with hunger. The problem with Israel is when they went into the desert, they directly told God, Moses and Aaron, you brought us out here to kill us by hunger. And Jesus, he had to go and do this, right? He had to prove that it can't be done. And Satan comes and he's like, if you're the son of God, What are you doing out here hungry? Truly, if you're you're the son of God, if God really loved you, would he let you starve out here? This is the same thing he told Israel. If you're God's chosen people, what are you doing out here in the desert? Man, back in Egypt, you sat by the meat pots. You had had bread, onions, and leeks. You you had it all. God must be really angry with you guys to bring you out here. Do you see how he's working right now? And Jesus is, is surveying this whole thing. And the Bible says Jesus was hungry. Has anyone here ever fasted? Okay, has anyone fasted more than three days? You know Yeah, all, every, every hand drops, right? Almost every hand right? I mean, 40 days is, 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 you're not playing around. And it's not 40 days in an air-conditioned house, you know, watching the office reruns, like, so you can try not to focus on your hunger pants. You are laying out in the desert, miserable. And Satan's there. He's like, what are you doing? Yeah, at some point, Jesus is, I mean, this is this is a real trial for him. The Bible says this is his trial. And that opportunity to doubt, am, am I who God says I am? But Jesus answers correctly with the word. Okay. For time's sake, let's move on here. Second temptation. Matthew 4, 5 through 7. So, who won that first battle? Round one goes to? Jesus. Woo! Jesus, that's right. It says, then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple he said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Now, we've talked about this forever, right? So now Satan turns the word against them, just like you. He, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. So Satan's like, okay, Jesus, hit me with some scripture, let me, let me throw something back does anyone know what Jesus is quoting there, or that same one who uh tempers quoted? Yeah, psalm ninety-one. Psalm ninety-one is an awesome psalm uh, uh, of deliverance for the Lord's people, like those who put their trust in the Lord, right? Who, who's gathered under His wings? He'll, he'll keep you from the plague. He'll, he'll protect you from the advancing armies. He'll, he will, you know, he won't even let you dash your foot against a stone. He takes a psalm that is used to comfort the believers in our time, in our dark times. And now he's quoting it to get Jesus to test God. He's that same word, to tempt God, right? In such a way, Satan he says, hey, hey okay, here, here, here's, here's what we're going to do, Jesus. If, if you're the son of God, let's just prove it right now. God loves you so much. You're, you're his son. Like, truly, it's written right here. Let's go to the temple. Who lives in the temple, by the way? It's not a trick question. In Israel, who lives in the temple? God. God lives here, right? That's where God's presence is at. So let's go to, I've heard one theologian say, let's go to ground zero of God's presence, which would be the temple. And just in case, you know, because we don't want to just go anywhere. We want to go where God's at because God's right there. He's going to rescue you. And Satan here tries to make God out to be a genie, right? Hey, he's your genie, right? You're his son. He has to do it. Now, let me ask you this. Should you ever test God like that? Is God your gene? Nope. Is God your personal valet? And when you say, well, God wrote this, therefore, if I do it, God has to do it because he wrote it down. Is that how God works? Negative. No, it's not how it works. God tests you, but you do not test God. God has always found faithful. Right? We get it backwards when we test God in these areas. Jesus nails it. He says, look, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Okay. All right. So their second temptation passed. Now let's go to the third one. So Satan has to he has to switch up his tactics. So he's put doubt twice if you're the Son of God, the second one, well, if you are the Son of God, he's, he's trying to get Jesus to prove it. Verse 8 Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain, and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship. And then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And the devil left him, behold, the angels came, and were ministering to him. Okay. Now this one, if you don't know, could be a little more confusing. But one of Jesus' primary missions wasn't only to rescue you and I from our sin, he has other missions as well. One of them is to reclaim the nations that are divided in Genesis chapter 10. Jesus is the king of the world, right? The Bible says, He will gather people from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue will come and gather before him. So what Satan does here is he offers a shortcut. Hey, Jesus, I know why you're here. Well, you know that Satan is the God of this world, right? And there's certain things I'm assuming that you know that the Bible says that he's the God of this world. Satan says, look, they're lying anyways. I can give them to you. I'll make it easy for you. If you worship me, I will give you what you came here for. I'll give you the nations. I'll give them back. Gladly, just worship me. And then Jesus says, "What?" Get out of here. Take a hike. But worship the Lord your God only. So he tells him to leave, and Satan leaves. The angels come, and they minister to him. Now, okay, so Satan offers a shortcut to success. Satan offers a shortcut to what God has promised. Most of you don't know me very well or my testimony, but I want to assure you one thing. There are no shortcuts in the kingdom of God. None. There's none to be found. There's no... Bible hacking, right? It is born out through prayer, it's born out through fasting, and it's walking with the Lord is how the promises and the advancement of his kingdom are obtained. Right? The closest thing there to come are miracles, when God reaches down and does things supernaturally. But discounting that, there are no shortcuts to what God has for you. Now, Jesus faces this similar problem in Matthew 16, 23, it's worth noting. He's asking, the, he's asking the 12, right? hey, who am I? Who do people say that I am? And, and Peter's famous because he says, you're the Christ. He sees this. God says, man, my father has revealed that to you. Then Jesus goes on to, to tell them. He's like, hey, guys, I'm, I'm going to let you in on something. Jesus up at this point, he, he speaks in parables. He's like, I'm going to love you guys. I'm going to go into Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer at the hands of the elders. I'm going to suffer at the priests. I'm going to die on the cross. He, he lays out the story for them. And what's Peter's reaction Far be it from me, Lord. This is, he said, The Bible says Peter pulls him aside and rebukes him. Hey, this is not happening. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Okay, whoa. Does anyone think this is an overreaction? <laughs> no, Jesus recognizes the spirit that is operating through Peter. This is the same guy who God says, the Father revealed us. Well, the Father must be talking to Peter. At the same time, he's like, oh, somebody else is talking to Peter, too. It's Satan. So Jesus had to fight the devil head-on in the wilderness, but he also had to resist him when he spoke through people. That should be alarming to you as well. How many people that are good Christians or good people would give you bad advice like that, where you have to recognize that voice? Get behind the Satan. He's still popping his head up trying to derail Jesus. Surely the Son of God is not going to die, Right? Jesus, give me idea. Get out of here. It's the same response in the first one and the second. Everybody else see that? Yeah. Okay. So, why did Michael Young say, this is, should be a foundational teaching for the Holy Church of Oceanside. Well, often we think of evil as temptation into gross sin. But evil is much, it, that's true, but evil is much more subtle. Evil is doubting God's word and God's promises and behaving contrary to what the word says. Right? It's, it's doubt. It's unbelief. The Bible says that's an evil heart of unbelief. That is the biblical picture of evil is to have that word. Hebrews 3, 16 and 18 says this about Israel in the wilderness. It says, For who having heard rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came to Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry with for 40 years, was it not those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who did not obey? See, they could not enter in, they couldn't enter the promised land or his rest because of their unbelief. Satan's primary job, the tempter's primary job, is to get you from faith into unbelief. The moment you do that, the rest of the sin dominoes begin to fall. That's the battle, that's the battle of faith is to stay faithful to God's word. James 1, 2 through 4 says, This count it all joy, my brothers, when you fall into various temptations, various trials. For you know that the testing of your faith produces patience. That patience has its perfect work, that you may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. Just like Jesus had to be tempted by the enemy in the wilderness, you and I have to be tempted because it produces something in our lives. The Bible says steadfastness and patience. And at the enemy's job, he comes in and he starts to sow these seeds to get you to doubt God's word. Did God really say? Did God really say that you're forgiven? Did God really say he would forget all your sins? Did he really say that? Because you're actually a pretty terrible person. I can see God forgiving those things, but what about that time when you were a senior in college? You remember that? Remember, has anyone ever heard that, that voice before? Does anyone remember what you were doing between 24 and 37? The enemy comes and he speaks to you in your past. And he begins to erode away God's word. And the first time you're like, oh, no, it's gone. But after a while, you keep listening to this voice. You never did what Jesus did on the temptation when he says, get out of here, Satan, leave. You've never said that, have you? And yet you allow him to sit there and speak to you. Did God really say, did God really say he would meet all your needs in Christ Jesus because you've been having a hard time paying you? Hey, the, boy, God must not really love you because look at your family right now. Look at the way your kids are. Look at the, look at the way your family's behaving. Well, God must not love Pillar Oceanside because they don't even have a church building to feed them. They don't even have a nice, cool air conditioning. <laughs> right? The enemy comes in a lot of different forms, and his whole idea is to get you to doubt and to disbelieve. If God loved you, you know that wouldn't have happened. right? You know your father would have died and were younger if God loved you. must be some kind of generational curse on your house. What's your response supposed to be? Get out of here. Get out of here. Thank you. One person is listening. Thank you very much. How are you meeting these temptations to doubt God's word? Your personal circumstances, listen to me please, your personal circumstances do not reflect your status with God. Jesus hungry in the desert, not eating. Jesus, the son of man, has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus lowly, riding and humbly on a donkey and not on a Roman horse. You know, if we looked at him, we'd say, well, God is a pretty pretty broke guy. He doesn't. He's not taking care of his kids. We missed the whole point there. Your personal circumstances does not reflect your value or what God thinks about you. Each one of us will have our own trials, temptations, and tribulations to go through. And some of ours I would hate to have your your, your trials because I, I look at my life and say, hey, it's, it's been pretty good. But we all have a cross to bear. And we all have to, to play this thing out. Amen? Amen? So let's talk about you as I wrap this thing up here. Let's talk about you. So Israel was delivered from Egypt, from slavery and bondage, through the water. Right? And where did, were they supposed to go after the wilderness? In the wilderness, what's the next step? Promise the promised land. So you were delivered out of slavery and bondage through water anyone here ever been baptized? Yep. So where are you at right now in this biblical story? You're in the wilderness. Because where's our next step? The the, the kingdom of heaven. It's the promised land, right? In the biblical narrative, you've been called out of Egypt, which is a type of the world. You've been called from slavery and bondage. We've been delivered through the water, through baptism. The Bible says baptism is a symbol right, of our resurrection coming through the waters. And so if you've ever wondered, where am I at in this grand biblical narrative? Some people think, it's like, oh, I'm saved. Everything should be perfect. You're in the wilderness, baby. Right? Where God says, only believe. Only believe. He keeps saying that. Only believe. Jesus, when I come back, will the Son of Man find what? Faith. Right? It's so easy to doubt right now because can you see him? No. Does it look like everything is burning down around us? Have you ever wondered, where is God in all these troubled times right now? Where is He at? Why isn't He doing something about this? God, you could just snap your fingers and you could do this. We're in the wilderness. We're in enemy territory. We've, I mean, we've preached this a thousand times from a thousand different angles. But this is where you are at in the biblical narrative. And the battle right now is for your faith. Just like Israel's battle was for their faith. And God says, look, they didn't enter in because of their unbelief. Will you enter the next step with unbelief? No. The corpses are going to fall in the wilderness. And right now, the corpses of our brothers and sisters are falling in the wilderness. When people fall away, when people doubt the word. And the Bible says, look, God says, I always bring people, people, through right? Just like, the Bible calls it a remnant. Just like in Israel, there's a bunch that God was displeased with. There was Joshua, Caleb, there's people that God was still pleased with, and they went in and possessed the promise. land. And that's what God is doing right now. When you see the church being shaken up, God is bringing a people through to the promised land. But you have to realize that you're in the wilderness. I don't, I don't know where you think you're at. As good as America is, you are still in the wasteland. It's still easy to doubt. and Satan is still after your faith. James 4.7 says this. Resist the devil and he will what? Flee from you. When's the last time you actively resisted him? I'm not just saying like some kind of mental game you're playing. You, I, I, I tell my kids, I tell my wife, you should speak these things out loud right? Can Satan read your mind? No. That's God's territory. You can plant thoughts there, but there's only one who knows all things, right? Jesus shows up and he's reading people's mail, right? He knows the thoughts, the of the heart, right? He knows what's going on. But the scripture never tells us anywhere that Satan knows what you are thinking, right? So how is he supposed to know to lead? I'm going to to be a weird guy. I'm probably making some of you uncomfortable. But how do you behave in the wilderness? You've got to get this guy out of here you've got to get him off your life if you're constantly struggling with doubt and unbelief about these things man just speak out loud to yourself faith comes by what hearing how shall you hear unless someone sent right just right now even the preaching of the word increases faith you need to read your word out loud yourself why do you think we get together we read scripture these are not vain exercises that we do because we're bored and we have to do it it has a purpose As a very spiritual purpose, we read the word, we speak the word, we memorize the word, we quote the word, we hide the word in our hearts, right? And when the enemy comes, just like Jesus, we quote the word right back at him. You have to do it. If you just shut your mouth and you sit there and suffer, you're being picked off in the wilderness. You're suffering needlessly. God has given you all this information right here. Jesus... And Adam, he's making it right. He's identifying with Israel. And just like you and I come out of the bondage, we go through the water, and we go into the wilderness, Jesus went through it and passed it for us as well. He's, done, he's made all things new. He's made all things right. And all you have to do is identify in Jesus Christ. Yeah, I have failed. Yeah, I have, yeah, that was the old me, but there is a new me right now who with God is well pleased. Amen. That's not made after the flesh, but after the spirit. You have to know these things. Okay. Last verse, Matthew chapter 6. Hopefully this will make sense to you. Matthew chapter 6. 9 through 13. This is called the Lord's Prayer. With everything we just said, hopefully this makes a little sense. You. Jesus teaches us how to pray. He says, in this manner, you ought to pray, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our what? Bread. And we've been talking about bread and hunger, right? Let's keep reading. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us where? not into our temptation, not into this test But if we do, God, we have one more request. What is it? Deliver us from the evil one. If you're reading the ESV, it just says evil. You should have a footnote. It says the evil one. Don't leave me into temptation. Don't leave me in the testament. But if I do, God, deliver me from this evil one. Jesus said, I pray that your faith would fail. Satan wants to sift you like wheat. This is the battle you and I are in. As a Christian, you need to know these things. This is why it's foundational, because you are in a battle for your very soul. Yes, you've been saved, and nothing can snatch you from God's hand. But God does look down at us. He says, how are my children behaving in this wilderness, right? Just like Israel, right? There is a thing. There is a real principle in the Bible called the judgment of believers. The Bible says every person will stand before God and give an account of the deeds that are done, whether whether good or bad. Just because you're saved doesn't mean you're rescued from that judgment. All people will give an account. And I'm warning you right now, the enemy is, has done his best to distract you, to derail you, and to get you off track. And you didn't know it was him speaking this entire time. But I pray in the week, this coming week, just go back over the temptation of Jesus and think about, well, what, is, what does he do in my life? If he did it to Adam and Eve, if he did it to Israel, he did it to Jesus, are you going to be any different? Let me guess, because you're so awesome, Satan's just going to leave you alone. I got news for you. If enemy leaves you alone, you're that rotten. We've got other problems that you're being left alone. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Why would He say, Deliver us from temptation? Say, Here's where it's at. Lord, give us what I need to survive. Lord, we pray for the advancement of your kingdom. Help me to forgive like you forgive. Don't lead me into temptation, right? Because the enemy's good. Don't think you're that awesome. The Bible says, If you think you stand, take heed, lest you fall. Right? It's our daily reliance on Him. Now, Grace is going to come up here and do communion, but I want to leave you one last thing. Hopefully it will blow your mind. So let's think about us as Israel. And God calls us out of Egypt And in this story, Jesus would be like a Moses, right? He comes in and helps rescue us. And we get out. We go through the water. Now we're in the wilderness. Who was living in the wilderness when Jesus came onto the scene that was crying for people to repent and turn to God? Come again. John the Baptist. John the Baptist. The Bible says he was the voice of the wilderness crying. I would propose to you that right now the church's job is we are the ones crying in the wilderness to make way for the return of the Lord. We Have, have you ever heard of the Great Commission? That we're out there pleading with people. The Lord is coming. He's coming soon, right? And make straight past. The Lord is at hand. The kingdom is here. That's what John the Baptist was doing out in the wilderness. So. If we can see we live in the wilderness, but you're not to live in the wilderness just hanging out, trying to barely survive. You have a job in the wilderness, just like John the Baptist. We'll talk about that some more next week. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you. Uh, Jesus said, even we have failed, Father, I have failed. I have failed in in my wilderness trials. But Jesus, I'm identified in you, and therefore I have made it. Lord, that you have done all things, well, Jesus that you have bore my sin and you have, you have taken the shame. Lord, where I failed, you succeeded. And on the cross, that great exchange where you gave me your righteousness and you took my, my sin and my shame. Lord God, I thank you for that. And not only mine, Jesus, you, the Bible says that you died for the sins of the whole world. That you, your love was greater than any evil could ever could ever comprehend. And now your word tells all men to repent and turn in their ways and to turn towards you. Lord, I just thank you that you would continue this week to reveal in our hearts what your word has spoken to us tonight. Father, help us not to fall for the wiles and the, the tricks of the enemy, Father God, to get us to doubt your word, Lord God, that we know that we live by faith. Lord God, and we are called believers and not doubters. So I thank you, Lord God, for strengthening us in these areas. In Jesus' name, church said, amen. amen.